Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Jonah Cowell, CTO at Logs.io, and I'm joined by Anurag over at uh, Calypta, and we're here to talk about this project, which hopefully many of you use. Um, Anurag, can you give us a little intro about yourself and your role? Um, yeah, and then we can yeah. dive into to the discussion. Yeah, awesome. First, thank you so much for having me. Uh, but yeah, my name is Anurag. I'm one of the co-founders of a company called Calyptia. And we essentially are a company that is bringing enterprise readiness to Fluent D and Fluent Bit. These two great open source projects that we're going to talk a lot about today. Um, and then, yeah, my background, I've worked at Microsoft, I've worked at Elastic, uh, so a lot throughout the observability space. Nice. And um, I guess you've been, I know you have an interesting history in open source, both at Elastic and then after. Um, maybe you could tell us how you got involved beyond the companies I worked for and started were involved. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So for open source, I actually happened to land on it uh, by luck. So I... Coincidentally, it happened at Microsoft. So at Microsoft, there was this team called the Open Source Technology Center. And what Microsoft discovered back in the day was you can't just sell Windows. Um, and this is, this is in the Balmer era, pre uh, uh, Satya Nadella. And they extended many of their monitoring products. So their system center suite of products that went and actively managed, monitored, and helped provision Windows ecosystems. And they said, we need to be able to do Linux and Unix as well. Uh, and so tucked away in a small corner of that team was this open source technology center that did three small things at the time, which were Linux on Hyper-V, so all the drivers that would be upstream to the kernel. Uh, it would be all the Linux and Unix management with the system center suite of products. And of course, Linux on Azure. Uh, so that's where I landed um, as a kind of my first role um, as, as a product manager, as someone in open source. And it just so happened that that uh, team was very lucky in that once Satya Nadella came on, cloud became the focus, all of a sudden, every everything was Linux. You, if you're going to be building systems at scale, most likely you're going to be choosing Linux. And so that was, that was a great place to kind of start my career in, in open source, learn about licensing, learn about how large companies like Microsoft use and adapt it. Uh, and as part of that, you know, one of the key initiatives we had there was looking at Azure and looking at moving some of these behemoth system center type products to cloud and how do you do this all in the cloud? Uh, and so in 2015, we looked at, okay, monitoring is evolving to logging. Uh, folks who are, are, are looking at APM who are looking at specific alerts, they want to be able to do this in a cloud-based system. Uh, and as part of that, we needed a data shipper. And we had this new mentality where instead of trying to just go and go the Microsoft way, build everything ourselves, is there something that was already out there in open source? Was there something that was reliable, something that had a decent community adoption? And we found Fluentd. Um, and so within a matter of a few months, we were able to go out and, and launch a brand new what we called operations management suite uh, agent for uh, Linux and uh, for Linux. And it was with Fluentd. 
And that was actually my first exposure to the project. Uh, it was a great success story for, for open source and utilizing open source. We contributed a, a couple of things back. It's still out there, actually. So you go to Microsoft OMS agent, you'll find all of the stuff that was done. Uh, and yeah, that was that was kind of my, my foray into taking a project, utilizing it, launching a product with it. Uh, and from there, I just happened to grow more and more fond of this project, seeing how its potential could help users do things like save money, uh, really solve these key issues around reliability and performance. Um, and, and so I got invited from Treasure Data, which was the company that created the technology at the time, uh, to come join them as they look to, to make an enterprise version of the product. Uh, so I left for Treasure Data after Microsoft, got to learn the, the, the struggles and wonders of, of enterprise open source, uh, which, was, which was fantastic. Um, and I think Treasure Data was going through a kind of a company growth period at the time. And uh, we were, were excited to, to land a few customer deals, but you know, the company was also focused on marketing analytics. Uh, so I, I quickly went to another place to learn more and more about this enterprise open source. And one company that, you know, I think when folks look at enterprise or commercial open source today, Elastic is, is absolutely at the top of the list. Um, and so that's where that's where I headed next, uh, this time focusing on the cloud side. So, um, yeah, it's it's been quite quite a journey, uh, but one that I'm continuing to to be excited about every day. I love open source more and more. There's a lot of hot topics in open source these days, uh, but yeah, all, all fun. Yeah, cool. So just because you mentioned there were two interesting things. One is when you talk about Elastic and open source, like it used to be like a great example of that. And Red Hat is obviously another great example of a success story and MongoDB and lots of other companies, but a lot of them are changing. I mean, look at MySQL, look at MongoDB, look at Elastic this year and what they've done with their licensing. They're not even open source projects anymore, which is yeah. kind of shocking that you would say two years ago, oh, Elastic's gonna be not open source anymore. You'd be like, no, that's not true. They believe in this, but it yeah. changes, you know, business changes the way that people think about giving away free software, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think there's probably a couple things that are really important to just pr the open source projects in general, which is one, the, the community building aspect of it. Um, and this is where you're organizing events, you're giving folks really rich guidance and and even support even, you know, help how to get started, how to, how to get things going. Um, and I think that's been something that, that, you know, regardless of what your, your, your license might be, whether it's source available, commercial, et cetera. I mean, another great example of this, where we're just community building is like Splunk, right? Splunk has done a pretty fantastic job of its community, it's Splunk answers. Um, but yeah, as we look at the actual license piece, I think we're, we're, we're starting to see a trend where most of the large players are moving away from kind of the traditional permissive licensing model. Um, yeah, another one is Grafana. We're like, well, it's, it's still OSI approved, but, you know, AGPL v3. Um, and that's something where I think we'll see less and less permissive license uh, going forward for companies that are thinking of commercial open source. 
uh, you know, whether it's something like a BSL license, which is you know, MariaDB's business source license, uh, or just starting off as, as pure SaaS and uh, trying to say, hey, you know, all, all our other stuff is going to be uh, under an AGPL or an SSPL type license, a server-side help. Yeah, but I mean, I also feel like if you build open source and then you build a compelling SaaS product, you don't actually need to create restrictive licensing on those pieces. Um, yeah. And obviously SaaS is the business model that everyone wants to go towards and customers love it because it's seamless for them to do management and various other things. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it's definitely a lot of interesting things going on uh, in, in that side uh, of things. I mean, uh, Speaking of which, and data collection, like one, I always think of data collection as commoditized. I mean, it's an interesting, important part of the of the chain, but like there's a lot of great choices for data collection out there. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, I also like some other projects like Vector and various other things, but then as they get acquired, then you say, hmm, what's gonna happen with this down the line? Is it gonna be restrictive? And so that's the concern. But this, the data ingestion area is, uh, it's pretty interesting because you take a look at even the news yesterday with Cribble and, and I know Clint and maybe he's watching. So hi Clint, uh, congrats on the funding. They got a huge round of funding and quite a valuation for a company that basically does telemetry ingestion. Were you shocked by that news yesterday or were you, yeah, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I think I watching, watching Cribble, Cribble. Oh, a little bit of an echo there. Uh, yeah, watching Cribble it has been great because I think they have built this new category around uh, data ingestion and, and pipelining, uh, which is awesome because the more folks that learn about the capabilities, the more folks that will come and say, hey, we, we want a vendor neutral a uh, solution, something that's housed in a foundation that they can rely on. Um, you know, we're talking about all these open source projects. One of the best things uh, about a foundation is, you know, that project can never change, right? There's, you can take utmost confidence in, in having that and have a guarantee that the governance model, the way these projects are managed and the future of that project will not be changing from anything permissive to, to something non-permissive. Uh, and I think that's that's a yeah definitely a a great thing. So watching the success of you know others in the space building this category out, I think it it helps uh, it helps flow all boats uh, with with respect to what users want. How do we go in and uh, influence this? And and I do hope more users come and participate in the fluent community, saying, "Hey, I saw this great feature over here. Uh, I want to go and." work on this type of uh th this type of feature in this open source community and yeah we'll gladly uh, accept uh, folks in that yeah that's that's definitely a good point it's interesting I, d I don't think of it really as a new category because it's just part of getting data it's not like groundbreaking but using this technology to save companies money and make ingestion easier and more efficient for them, there's a lot of dollars involved in that. I mean, if you can, and you know, 
what Cribble does and obviously what people use all of these technologies for is I'm sending all this data. How do I make it less so that I can pay less money to my vendors for storage for, you know, various other things, which has a very clear value prop. If you can make that easier and better for users and scale that out, you know, I think that that's, uh, it's certainly worth paying for, um, especially if you give people a good user experience, customer success, all of the things around the company. Um, yeah. You know, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I think yeah, part, part of it that's really interesting is like data and cost have always traditionally been aligned, right? If, if you ingest more data, you pay more. Uh, and it, it kind of makes sense uh, for, from anyone who's thinking of it, yeah, I'm, I'm paying for what I use. Uh, but I think we're getting to these inflection points within the industry where folks are realizing like, wow, I'm paying like 90% for debug logs and I, I don't use any of that. Um, and, and so now that that equation that was so linear in fashion is becoming more of this, this change where it's saying, well, how much value am I gaining from this data? And that is no not linearly related. It's more of a kind of a, a curve that that falters off. So I think Cribble and others, yeah, it's definitely not anything new in a technology perspective. But perhaps what I would say is is this new category is can we make that value um, piece a little higher for the data that you already have, uh, enrich it, redact it, uh, do do whatever might, you might do, but do it at scale distributed uh, and across thousands of systems. I think that's the, yeah, like you were saying, that's that's the value. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I guess you're a product manager, but you probably got a lot of hats uh, at your startup. Uh, can you tell me what you do with your time? Like, how do you divide it? And, you know, you do a lot of product management things, but I'm sure you've got a lot going on that I don't see in the community side. So, yeah, yeah, I think uh, as as anyone who who has started a, a company or uh, even many product managers will will tell you that it's, it's a role of many hats, uh, just as as part of itself. So for me, it could be anything from doing a lot of the back end community work. Uh, which can sometimes be forgotten, like the docs or uh, trying to uh, repro some specific issues. Uh, uh, and then from a company side, it can be things like our marketing, our messaging. Uh, how do we help build um, or how do we identify some, some specific uh, features that will provide enough value that users would, uh, would want to use it? Uh, so for me, yeah, it's been... Whatever, whatever can help the business grow, and I'm sure many folks would answer the same way. Uh, that's that's what you got to do, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely makes sense. Um, and uh, are there other product managers over there? Are you kind of solo? I mean, what's the the state of things over at Calypta? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, my my co-founder is the creator of uh, of Flumpit, so Eduardo. Uh, so he's definitely the, the tech, tech muscle behind building out things like community requests and uh, delivering on how we look at uh, just up-leveling the projects into some into commercial-type uh, enterprise pieces. And then we also have uh, a few folks who work on uh, UI. We have folks who work on ops. 
we've actually been building out a lot of dev tools for the community. So things that you can use for, for free as you get started with Fluentd and Fluentbit, things like visualizing your configuration, um, validating your configuration. So if you are running into issues and you don't know why something's failing, the logs can be helpful, but we could also paste the config, run it for you and just say, ah, here's the uh, X, Y, Z things that are wrong. So all of those are available for, for what we've been building so far. And we've been building a team team around that, but yeah, from product that's, that's uh, myself for right now. <laughs> nice. Cool. Uh, so shifting over to the community a bit, cause people I'm sure that are tuning in or listening later want to hear about, uh, what's new with fluent D fluent bit, what's kind of the hot button topic, uh, that you're driving or maybe interested in. I have a couple that I'm going to bring up in a few minutes, but I just wanted to hear, uh, your take on what's been going on. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, some topics are, are pretty persistent uh, throughout every release we'll have. Um, those are definitely things like performance. Um, we, we definitely get a ton of stuff about performance. Uh, another big topic in the community that comes up regularly is uh, custom plugins. How do we write those? How do we build those? Um, so, yeah, a, a good plethora of, of places where folks will say, hey, I love writing in Go. And um, for example, Fluent Bit is written in C and people will write in Go and say, okay, I can write in Go and I can output to this, this particular backend. Uh, but the performance is not there. It's not as, as high as I would expect. And it's, if you look at the underlines, the C code transferring to Go code does have a little bit of an impact. Um, even Amazon, for example, they wrote a lot of Go plugins to start. And I think it's one of those ways we we tend to push folks who want to build out a proof of concept. But as soon as you want to go to scale, uh, that's when we say, okay, hey, you got to write C. And that's that that uh, bit of friction that we're trying to solve in right now. Uh, there's a couple of solutions that that we have in mind here for this. I think one of the hot hot uh, topics in in open source right now, and, and just in general, is WebAssembly. And this is taking things like Rust, like taking things like JavaScript or Python, whatever language you might have, compile it down to uh, WebAssembly and then have an interface with FluentBit that can run much, much faster uh, than, than your traditional Go plugin. So this is something we'll be talking about um, at our FluentCon. But yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely one of those hot topics. How do we, how do we make it easier for, for users? Um, yeah, and there was some discussion recently because OpenTelemetry Incorporated stanza into the collector, and in that discussion, which we which we recently had, it's because, well, one could argue why they did it, but generally because it's Go and the collectors Go and OpenTelemetry, it makes it easy to basically incorporate it in. And the fact that FluentBit is in C makes it harder, even though it's part of CNCF. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, Go is very popular in our space and in our market, but it's very like Bay Area focused. And as you get further away from the Bay Area in general or the companies from there, you know, I think Go has less mileage maybe than people give it, but it's uh, certainly getting super popular in our space for sure. 
Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's absolutely true is, you know, we look at folks who are using Fluentbit or contributing to Fluentbit. Uh, there'll be folks all around the world, which is which is great. And and while we do have folks say, ah, C is hard, C is hard. On the opposite side, we also have folks who are saying, wow, C is my my first programming language. And I'm I'm super excited to see a project like this uh, in the CNCF, something I can read the code and and uh, you know even try to contribute to. Oh, here's something that's going wrong. Here's something that that I can assist with. So, yeah, there's definitely a good good balance there. Um, and so if we can bridge that gap where you could write C, you could write whatever you know C plus uh, plus, whatever you want, that I think is going to be really great for for the community going forward for sure. Yeah, I used to write a lot of C, but it's been a while. I think I, I don't think I've written any C in uh, 20 years now, I want to say, but I used yeah, to do a lot more too. of that. Um, so uh, I am particularly enthralled with this idea. And when I talk to customers and just other people in the community, uh, they also like the vision of Fluentbit and how you've been expanding beyond logging, uh, because I think there's a lot of really cool things that you've started pushing and doing that make a lot of sense to me, just in terms of why do I have to have so many different agents to do data collection and forwarding that. And obviously open telemetry is the big project around that, but uh, it, it's obviously concerned with logging metrics and traces, which is fine, but there's also the infrastructure layer where we care about metrics and logging. And maybe you could talk a little bit about what you're doing in the projects to evolve beyond just standard logging. Yeah, absolutely. So earlier this year, we really started to kind of focus on what it, what in production is going to be really valuable for our users. Um, I mean, one of the old, old issues of Fluentbit, it's like uh, in the, in numbered in the, the few hundreds or um, right before a hundred was about Prometheus. Hey, we want to be able to write to, to Prometheus. Um, and, you know, as we saw the, the popularity of, of folks saying, Hey, we want to have this single place for logs, metrics, and traces. Um, yeah, we thought that's, that's, Fantastic idea. When those protocols become mature, we can integrate with it. Um, and for for our side, we said, well, we have a lot of folks in production today. And those users have been asking for things like Prometheus and um, and and being able to correlate that data, you know, extract Prometheus metrics from their logs. And so we took a big stance of saying, why don't we go and push this into Fluentbit and actually make it so that Fluentbit could do remote ride, it can do Prometheus exporter, uh, and, and parts of Fluentbit have actually been more on the data processing side as well. We introduced SQL stream processing about two years ago. We said, well, what, what if we could do the same thing with metrics? What if you could do like select all the metrics from the following stream, aggregate by error code count, um, and instead of sending it as a log, which we do today, let's send it as, as a Prometheus metric. Uh, so these these were some of the scenarios where we were seeing a lot of users ask for it. We were seeing just a really high maturity of Prometheus in the ecosystem and open metrics. And we said, let's go let's go integrate with it. Let's solve that uh, that production 
uh, production use case. Um, but yeah, you know, for us, we still like this vision of open telemetry, connecting all three of these data sources. Um, and as that, as that project evolves, we've always integrated with, uh, with really top protocols or, or top ways to capture top schemas. So, you know, the beats, it's actually, actually funny is, you know, the Elastic ecosystem when Fluent D was released about 10 years ago was still pretty new. And we, we always saw like, oh, there's Fluent D and then there's Logstash. We, you know, every user that would come, even us as Microsoft at the time, we said, why don't we use Logstash versus Fluent D? And that comparison would come. I think Logs.io has a great comparison uh, on, on their website about this. And at the time, we actually just extended Fluent D uh, to, to start writing to Logstash. Yeah, it uses Lumberjack protocol. You want to write to it? Great. That's, that's no problem whatsoever. Uh, and so I think of this extensibility being a key part where folks who are using different agents, who might be using different protocols, yeah, let's, let's uh, extend to, to meet you where you are. These are vendor-neutral projects, right? We don't necessarily care what backend, what agents, what uh, uh, what type of libraries you're using, uh, but let's give some first-class representation to things like logs and metrics. Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of interesting stuff that they built into the beats that like the open source doesn't have anymore, so um, yeah. there's, there's some of that for sure, like some, you know, random integrations to like Salesforce and Microsoft Office 365 and stuff like that, that, you know, definitely come up and people want to collect that data. But, uh, you know, I think there's a lot that it does. Um, I was really interested in the other thing is we, uh, we do a lot of like lookups on our back end where the customer can import like a set of data and enrich their logs during ingestion, uh, whether it's like looking for indicators of compromise and security use cases or integrating CMDB data or maybe data center location when you see IPs or host names. I mean, there's lots of use cases for like taking a log and then enriching it as it goes into the back end. But you're doing some of that also on the uh, at the client side, so to speak, with Fluent D and Fluent Bit. Maybe you could talk a little bit about where you see the data enrichment going, because that's a really interesting topic in itself. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, yeah, you nailed it. Is data enrichment? Where should it go? Uh, what what can you do now at uh, at the Fluent D and Fluent Bit layer? Uh, so this actually started. Uh, maybe last year, late last year, we got this new GeoIP plugin um, for FluentBit. FluentD has had a GeoIP plugin for, for a while. Uh, I think the, the typical way folks have done that is you look up uh, um, against like a MaxMind database, um, which has a free version and a commercial product. Uh, and any incoming IP, you look up the city, the region, whatever it may be, and you can add that to your log message. Um, and I think that's the, the most basic version. Uh, and, and recently this year, one of the areas besides logging that, that the Fluent ecosystem has been heading towards, or at least has been adopted, is in cybersecurity. We see a ton of folks who are capturing syslog data, they're capturing um, network data, they're capturing information and actually routing it to the security team versus just routing it to their, their operations team. Um, and the use case for this checklist type plugin started to arise. 
Uh, and actually something we just released uh, last week in 1.8.4 is uh, essentially these very large you know, defense ministries wanted this, this feature for saying, hey, how can we take these malicious IPs, these malicious domains, do a lookup in stream? So use case might be I have a million malicious um, IPs and domains and I want to look up in stream. And if it is, just do something very simple. Uh, do something like saying IOC is true or add a record saying record equals bad, whatever it may be, but make that all customizable. Uh, and so the way we've been thinking about this is we have a lot of high performance with, with FluentBit um, at the edge. And for you know just a few more percentage of CPU, maybe um, you know a few more hundred megs of RAM, we can do a lot of these type of lookups. Uh, it doesn't do any action though. And I think this is where it's, uh, we're finding it really nice to be able to say, hey, we can help offload some of these tasks that you might typically be doing um, at a centralized location or maybe even at a cloud location, do it a little faster at the edge. And then at the cloud side, you can take action. You can, you know, this, this record will be generated, but at the cloud layer, you can actually alert on that. You can, um, you know, have all these dashboards based off of it. Um, so, so I think, yeah, there's definitely going to be this more meshing of, or how we're, we're getting a lot more powerful at the edge. And uh, I think it's, it's always interesting to say, how can we start to use that? Uh, and security is definitely one of those, those interesting use cases. Yeah, for sure. We, we see that as well. So uh, do you foresee like a better way to manage that? Because today I'm assuming that there's a file and you just use the file and the user has to update the file and manage the file. And, you know, there's no kind of there, there is actually standard protocols. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with sticks and pixie of like these threat data feeds that come in formatted a certain way. But uh, do you have any like plans in the open source project to make that easier for users to like update those lookup, I guess, databases, files, whatever you want to call them? Yeah, yeah. So we've been thinking a little about this um, more holistically. You know, Fluidbit um, is a bit static today. You deploy it, and once it's deployed, it's running that configuration. Uh, one of the new community projects that we just introduced to the Fluent organization is actually a FluentBit operator. Uh, and it has one main difference, which is these dynamic configuration reload, uh, where it will take the incoming uh, configuration change request and, and push it without causing downtime. And um, that's something we've, we've always wanted in the FluentBit ecosystem. It exists in FluentD. We have this live reload capability. Uh, and so as we define that and build that out more, uh, it, it will absolutely go to these downstream systems like or downstream plugins, whether it's you want to reload a exec script that you're running. Um, of course, we want to figure out a good way to do that securely. Uh, or you want to reload some of the sources of data, right? Your, your files, tail is a great example. This is just taking a file that is constantly shifting and changing underneath. You might want to apply different parsers to it. You might want to um, extract data in a, in a different way. Uh, so there's there's a ton of stuff that we're looking at around this dynamic flow of data and, and how do we um, adapt to it. So for First. specific threat feeds and others, uh, probably to be determined. But uh, 
for the, the dynamic reloadness of it, yes. Yeah, and for those listening that aren't familiar, operators are a Kubernetes construct that is designed to allow the user to create a lifecycle for a particular component or service running on Kubernetes. So the idea is that with the operator, you define functions like upgrade, restart, like various things. You could update data feeds, for example, and it could be part of the operator. And then it deals with that life cycle and how you manage that, how you shut down gracefully, avoid dropping things. I mean, there's lots of things that you can do in an operator to make operations easier, which is why it's called that. So uh, just a little background. It's part of uh, Kubernetes standards. So um, yeah, so one other question uh, I wanted to ask about uh, intelligence on the edge. And we talked a little bit about what you were wanted to do with parsing and moves, moving more of that sophistication, I guess, closer to where the data is generated. Um, do you have other ideas around that same concept that maybe you wanted to share? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, going back to the stream processing piece, this is uh, SQL you can write on top of um, FluentBit today. And uh, you know, some of the use cases that we typically hear is folks will say, hey, I'm reading from Apache and I don't actually need to send all my Apache logs. Uh, what I All I need to do is summarize how many 400, 500s and 200s. And so you'll run a summary every 15 second, like a moving window. Uh, and because we somewhat format the data into to JSON based off custom parsers, we can run these, these pretty sophisticated SQL queries uh, on top of it today. Now that's a very static operation today. You have to predefine your SQL query, define it as a task. Um, and actually we have a, a couple of branches that showcase live stream processing. Um, and this is where you can go at the edge and say, add this stream processing query and show me the data. Um, and it's it's something where it seems very simple, but one of the top questions we get in the community is like, I just want to check what my data looks like before it hits whatever backend it may be sending to. I just want to see what it looks like. And this is where a dynamic stream processing, while it sounds so uh, you know uh, posh and and uh, buzzwordy, uh, this can help facilitate that that problem. I can look at what my data looks like uh, beforehand. Uh, now, obviously, that, that hasn't reached the master branch because we want to ensure things like security and, you know, it, it's just not an open port that anyone can say, show me the data as an attacker. Um, so as we look at, at bringing that into more and more fluent bid, we want to be able to say, hey, could you potentially do uh, this, this type of query uh, across a thousand nodes and summarize it? Um, and and it starts to yeah, meld the, the piece between large scale analytics in the back end and what type of analytics you want to do at the edge. Uh, but just starting to open those scenarios up uh, to see how users uh, react to it. I think the other, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to mention one thing. Uh, so to me, that seems like a metric use case. If I want to summarize how many 500s, 400s, 200s I've gotten, I would use a time series, right? Because then you can do all kinds of nice math on the data, but each to his own, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we need to extend stream processing to, to work on top of metrics for sure. Because, um, yeah, that should just become a Prometheus metric that you can scrape across all these nodes. 
maybe you, instead of writing in SQL, you write it in PromQL. Um, there's a ton of stuff here where uh, there's, yeah, we're, we're really excited for, okay, we have these metrics and logs flowing. Um, you know, one, one use case we've been thinking is like, once you reach a certain threshold of a metric, can you tag logs with certain correlations um, to say, hey, this this occurred with the following label um, of, of this metric and, and help to make those analytic systems in the back end more, uh, you know, more efficient. Oh, they can help determine root cause, uh, et cetera. So, have you have you played with exemplars to do that type of use case in Prometheus? Not too much yet. Not too much. So. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what it's designed to do is give you an example of a log or a trace that has to do with a metric. And obviously, you're not going to send all the logs. So it's like, here's a log that shows an error that looks like mm -hmm. ABC. And that's the idea. So it's kind of it's pretty powerful for getting an idea of why a metric is doing something. Um, so it's a cool idea, but they're kind of stored in memory and not part of the back end. And it's very a bit weird but still a useful construct yeah yeah and this is i think this is another area where you know we we do definitely lean on community as well to help drive what type of um what type of experience folks should have and uh, we definitely like to align with what users have been using in production today and what they need uh, so yeah, I think yeah, if exemplars are, are the way that folks expect to experience this, let's, uh, you know, please join the Fluent community. Tell us, uh, uh, we love to love to listen. Cool. Other stuff that you wanted to cover on that last topic that, cause I kind of switched you off when you were going to go into another topic. Oh yeah. I think the, the last bit there, uh, again, f falling a little bit into the buzzwordiness is we, we did add a TensorFlow pl plugin, um, and this was uh, maybe very early or late 2019, early 2020. And so this is another place where you can write like a TensorFlow Lite. I should be more specific there. You can do things like classification. Um, you point to your model and, and um, run it run it through. And we haven't taken too much advantage of this, this plugin, mainly because like there's a thousand challenges before machine learning that we have to go solve. Um, but for, for users who are interested and if you're listening to this, like, oh, that'd be cool to go try out. Yeah, we, that's, that's another place where we could see intelligence at the edge, um, you know, coming about and, and helping. Maybe we can identify some of the top types of logs, auto categorize it. Uh, all these use cases have been talked about, but, uh, yeah, again, like I said, thousand things before machine learning. <laughs> there always is, but it's important to get there. No, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap up, any kind of like final comments before I talk about a couple of news items and we can discuss those too? Um, no, no, I think, uh, yeah, if, if folks have questions about the Fluent community and we just reached 6,000 users in our Slack, so I'm really happy to, to, uh, to see that. Uh, yeah, we're always looking for more engagement. We have our Fluent community meetings every month. Uh, so, yeah, we welcome anyone and everyone. So, uh, and... There is a Slack. You're, you're, you have your own Slack, but there's also the CNCF Slack. So if you join the CNCF Slack, um, 
you're better off going to the slack.fluentd.org, which you can find on the main page and sign up. But you can also discuss things on the CNCF Slack if you have questions or whatnot. But the community for, for the project Slack is probably preferred, I guess, right? So Definitely. We can get a little more specific about, oh, if you're running Kubernetes, Fluent B, Fluent D. Uh, but yeah, I, I hang out on the CNCF one as well. So it might be a little slower, but I try to be highly available or distributed. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And um, so I did want to mention some conference news. Uh, first, two big open source conferences, which are coming up soon. Um, KubeCon is October 11th to 15th. It's hybrid right now. Um, they're obviously monitoring the situation and will decide. The in-person is in LA. Uh, Anurag will be there. I will be there. Lots of people will be there if it goes forward. Um, within KubeCon, there's what's called co-located events. And so these are like mini conferences in the conference. And there are many interesting ones. One of them is FluentCon, which happens on October 12th during KubeCon. And uh, so that's where you'll really be able to go deep. And Anurag will share a lot about the roadmap and things that are going on. And, and there should be some really interesting sessions. Uh, I'm actually going to be speaking about security there just because I do believe that the security community is starting to get what's happening in observability and there's there's signs of uh, cross-pollination I think that are getting a bit better there but the observability community the DevOps community and the security community are still very different even though the data and the problems are very similar so hopefully you know we'll see more security folks getting involved in these other projects and and more DevOps folks having security responsibilities. But I think we're still a long ways from, from that reality. So I'm gonna talk about how you use uh, Fluent D and Fluent Bit in security use cases around SIM and events and should be a good talk. And Anurag, what are you uh, talking about? Are you speaking at both conferences? What are, what are kind of some of the topics you're gonna be talking about? Yeah, so as, as a maintainer, I'll be at KubeCon for sure. Uh, so if you have just general questions about the projects, uh, if you have bugs, uh, you can bring them there. I'll, I'll uh, do my best to, to answer them. We can pull out the laptop uh, virtually as well. There's a nice hangout area. Uh, and then at FluentCon, um, I'll be talking a little bit, uh, as you mentioned, about the roadmap. But what I'm most excited for is actually a one-hour workshop. So we're going to be pulling out our laptops, uh, throwing Fluent Bits on um, some, some servers, on your laptop, wherever it needs to go, and uh, attaching it and, and learning about the metrics use cases. So uh, this is uh, meant to be a place where if you haven't heard about it or you're interested in learning about it, we'll, we'll walk through it. Uh, and of course, if you're joining uh, virtually as well, we have the, we'll have a full GitHub repo you can, you can go and uh, look at for instructions. Cool. Sounds interesting. And uh, I'll also be at the Jaeger booth and we're still figuring out the Jaeger talk because uh, I work on Jaeger also. And there'll be other folks, of course, from other relevant to this event, uh, Open Telemetry, Prometheus, uh, and, and all of the Kubernetes ecosystem that's CNCF related. 
the one other conference I did want to mention that's kind of interesting is obviously one of the biggest conferences in in the tech industry is uh, reInvent, and uh, that's happening November 29th to December 3rd, right now in person in Vegas. Obviously, this is all potentially up in the air. Um, AWS did cancel Reinforce, which is their security conference, about a week before uh, it, it occurred. It, it actually happened on Monday, the 24th of August, and they canceled it about a week before. So a lot of this stuff is very dynamic. People are kind of making a decision based on the current state of, uh, of COVID in the world and locally. So hopefully we'll be able to get together safely and um, it'll be nice to like actually hang out with people in open source in person again. Um, but uh, we're pretty used to working virtually, but getting together and discussing things in an informal manner is always, I mean, that's where great ideas come from really. So Anurag, anything else that you wanted to um, wanted to add in here? Uh, no, no, I think uh, I hope to see folks at, at KubeCon, FlintCon, whether you join in person or virtually. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I'd love to see you join the Flint community. So thanks so much for, for hosting me. And yeah, having great thanks talk. a lot for joining and getting up so early in the West Coast for the live stream. And um, thanks, people, for listening. So uh, we'll see you next month. We've got a great talk coming up that my colleague Dotan Horovitz is uh, putting together with uh, Yuri, who is the founder of Jaeger. Always great to hear from Yuri. He's, he's always doing cool stuff. So uh, definitely stay tuned next month. Subscribe on whatever your platform is. And uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, Anurag, for joining us as well. Awesome. See you.